Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Broadcasting around the nation, on your radio, on your TV, and online. This is The Bill Press Show. Well, we made it through the night without a war. Uh, yeah. Can we make it all through the day without a war? I don't know. Not with Donald Trump in charge. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Happy Wednesday, Wednesday, August 9. Uh, here we are, The Bill Press Show. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for being part of the program. For the next two hours, we will hopscotch around the world here with all the news of the day, mainly all the uh, bellicose rhetoric coming from Kim Jong-un and from Donald Trump, two of the very same kind of, pardon me, of people. Uh, unfortunately, they happen to be um, the leaders today of the Kingdom of North Korea and um uh, and the United States of America, and it is getting, if not war, very much to the brink of war, a very scary situation. We're bringing the reaction here in Washington, D.C., all the latest information we have of that and where we go from here. President Obama, President Obama oh, I wish, I wish, I wish. President Trump also yesterday talking about the uh, opioid crisis uh, and the Trump administration uh, deciding that uh, sleep apnea may be a problem. Yeah, there have been all kinds of train crashes and big truck crashes uh, caused by um, people, drivers uh, or engineers, uh, with sleep apnea, but we're not going to require testing for sleep apnea because that's just one more regulation, and Donald Trump doesn't like any regulations at all. Lots to talk about. Look forward to hearing from you. Uh, your comments on the news of the day. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, and we'll jump right into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories yes. Yes. making yes. news. All right. So the hottest ticket in town these days. We talked about the eclipse earlier, right? Yeah. Earlier in the week. Yes. How, listen to this. Someone on Reddit pointed out that there is a flight. Delta Flight 2466 on August 21st, the day of the eclipse. And the flight path goes from Atlanta to Portland. And the flight path follows the eclipse path almost perfectly. That is cool. So if you have no reason to be anywhere else, you could get on a plane in Atlanta and follow the eclipse all yeah, except it the starts, the eclipse comes the other sorry, way. Sorry, 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 sorry. So you started you, in Portland and go to Atlanta. I had a oh, oh. Start in Portland and oh. fly along with the eclipse all the way to Atlanta. Isn't that cool? So cool. That'd be yeah. fun. Yeah. That'd be a fun thing to do. Get me on that flight. Yeah, right. Well, about two years ago, we said goodbye to David Letterman. He retired, but it didn't last very long. Like I said, it's about two years. Yesterday, he announced <laughs> that he is coming back to Netflix for a limited series. He hasn't uh, released a title yet, but there will be six hour-long episodes. It says he is going to be interviewing one guest per episode, and then they're going to also have some 
comedy bits outside of the studio. He put out a statement saying, quote, I feel excited and lucky to be working on this new project for Netflix. Here's what I have learned. If you retire to spend yeah. some time with your family, <laughs> check with your family first. Because <laughs> they're getting sick of him and ready to see him uh, go find something else to do. I hope he shaves his beard. Well, Netflix actually pointed out that they don't know if he's going to shave his beard or not. He might show up with that big, bushy beard. Yeah, and, it's not a good-looking beard. I mean, it's a good-looking retirement beard. Is it a good-looking well, TV beard? Well, if you're going to live up in the mountains and take <laughs> care of your goats, right? Yeah, yeah. I don't know that he needs to come back on TV. I mean, I've noticed there are a lot more people wearing beards today. What's wrong with people? No, right, exactly. No, <laughs> it's into it. But most of them, like yours, are... Well manicured. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well kind of. Yeah. And his you know, is wild. No, his is just wild. He right. hasn't shaved, I think, in the entire time. A nice years looking, years. neat, you know, well groomed kind yeah. of little facial hair. That's I don't look. have any, but uh it looks good, but not that's too much. Have you ever had a beard? I, I don't can, have one. I could oh, okay. Right. I tried. Oh you can hear a good beard. I went true. to Mexico, tried. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I mean, who knows? We'll see if he keeps the beard for the Netflix show. We don't. I, I have no idea. Yeah. But he's right. coming back, which is good news. I think it, it, Letterman I, is, I, is, is uh, needed. Absolutely. Yeah. It's always a place for David Letterman. This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, Donald Trump says, uh, we need a distraction from this Russian investigation. Uh, how's this? Why not start a war? <laughs> That's what it sounded like yesterday. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Great to see you on a Wednesday, Wednesday, August 9. It is the Bill Press Show. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the program. Thanks for being part of it. Thanks for joining us wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours. We're right there alongside of you on the radio, on television, online. Uh, you can't escape us. We are on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Follow us on YouTube. Uh, sign up uh, for, I mean, follow us on our podcast as well. Go to BillPressShow.com. Any time of day, you can see the whole sh show in the morning. Uh, if that you might have, parts of it you might have missed in the morning or catch up with any interview you want to hear again or whatever, our podcast. And let us know what you think about it. Uh, again, BillPressShow.com is so, uh, the easiest way to find it. We are with you coast to coast on Free Speech TV, uh, of course, and uh, Chicago. Here we are on the great uh, progressive voice of Chicago, WCPT. So good to see you today. We've got lots and lots to uh, talk about the big stories of the day. Of course, Donald Trump and uh, North Korea uh, and his fiery rhetoric yesterday, which has been condemned by uh, some Republicans and some uh, Democrats. Uh, we also found out that Donald Trump, we'll talk about this, has been sending little love notes to Robert Mueller while he has been attacking him publicly, privately, uh, sending little love notes to love notes to Robert Mueller. The Trump administration has rolled back another regulation. This would require testing of, of not, not pilots, they are tested, of train engineers, truck drivers, and bus drivers for sleep apnea. The Trump administration says, we don't care. If they have this problem and they then they uh, kill, uh, create, uh, cause uh, very serious accidents and take a lot of lives, uh, we don't care. We don't want any regulations at all. And Bernie Sanders making some Democrats nervous by saying there should be a litmus test for Democrats running for office, and that litmus test is a single payer. Adam Smith will be here from Every Voice a little bit later to talk about the latest 
news from the Trump Hotel here in Washington. Our good friend John Allen, a co-author of Shattered, that great uh, <laughs> a brutal book about the Hillary Clinton campaign, will be here a little bit later as a friend of Bill and national security writer for Politico, who is all over the North Korean issue this morning on Politico. Brian Bender will be in studio with us as well. Uh, Peter, you mentioned it's two years since uh, David Letterman left us. That's right. But retired, retired. Yeah, exactly. But it is 22 years today since Jerry Garcia left us. August 22 years? 22 years. And Jerry Garcia, who passed away in the little village. It's not even a village. It's just really a collection of uh, homes along the road, uh, along Sir Francis Drake Boulevard in Forest Knolls, California. He was at a retreat center there. I know Forest Knolls very, very well because you fly fly through there on the way to Inverness, California. Uh, and uh, so it's hard to believe it's 22 years ago I had the great pleasure of meeting Jerry Garcia once walking along the waterfront in Portland, Oregon. He really? Just, he was just out for a walk, and I was out for a walk with our son. Carol and I were. He, he went to school in Portland, Oregon. And we had a great little visit with Jerry, both of us, all of us from Marin County, California. So <laughs> fun, yeah. Uh, his uh, his ashes I were. I'm I'm a great. I mean, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a deadhead, but a big Grateful Dead fan, anyhow. And he his ashes, half of them were spread on a river in India, because he was into that kind of meditation. And uh, half of them were spread in San Francisco Bay. And they had a memorial service for him in Golden Gate Park. 25,000 people showed up. Unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why. I mean, he was a real force. He still is a force. Of oh, yeah, sure. No, I mean, there's I mean, the the power of the Grateful Dead. I mean, the Grateful Dead aren't really for me. But, like, yeah. the power of what they've been able to do and sustain is... Uh, and what they've been doing for the last few years, I don't know whether all 22 years, is uh, they ask everybody uh, to, uh, to um, uh, celebrate Jerry Garcia by doing something good to somebody today. Call your mother and say hello. Call a friend and say hello. They call it a moment of gratitude. So take a little bit of time out today and do something nice to somebody as a moment of gratitude in honor of uh, Jerry Garcia. Nice way to celebrate nice. him. Yeah, nice way to remember him, uh, indeed. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's one... We'll start with that little good note, and then we get into the, oh, man, can you believe, seriously. Um, you know, the problem with North Korea, the language that we heard yesterday, this incendiary, bombastic, unhinged language from Donald Trump about North Korea. As some people pointed out, it's first of all, this is language you would never hear from Ronald Reagan. You would never hear from George W. Bush. Even even in the Iraq war, you didn't hear this kind of language about Saddam Hussein. I mean, Donald Trump just has to outdo Kim Jong Un when it comes to the when it comes to the bellicose rhetoric. Uh, and, and, and in fact, I think that's part of the problem. Is that when you think about it, these two guys are like one and the same, right? They both have huge egos, easily bruised. They both have bad hair. <laughs> uh, they both are where they are today only because of their father, right? And they're totally inexperienced, totally incompetent, totally inept. Uh, and all they believe is in insults. And, and they both live that way. So here you have 
Um, we, does, the UN uh, adopts these sanctions against North Korea because they continue to do their missile testing, which we've been trying to stop, and, which we, and getting China to try to help us say, no, 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 just cool this down. We don't need another nuclear arms race. Uh, they refuse to do that. No, uh, the United Nations correctly puts more sanctions on North Korea. North Korea says, oh, you know, you're going to live to regret these sanctions in the mainland USA is not going to be safe anymore, and we might even think about uh, lobbing some missiles on Guam. So that's that's the Kim Jong-un rhetoric. And Donald Trump has to one-up that and come on and be even stronger than that, which he does yesterday. Uh, I love this scene, too. Do you see that scene? So he's sitting around the conference table in Bedminster, New Jersey, his, uh, his uh, country club, with... Melania alongside of him, Jared Kushner sitting right across the table, you know, Kellyanne Conway sitting across the table. It's a whole little cabal. He also also had the Mussolini arms folded. Mm -hmm. Arms folded, right. While he was giving this statement. Right, right. So here he is uh, speaking on behalf of all of us. I don't think so. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Yeah. Uh, and then it goes on again. But notice, notice very carefully here what he's talking about. Threats. Threats, okay? He's not talking about military threat. There's not a military serious. I mean, they have developed this missile or these, uh, the, yeah, these missiles. Now we learn that they actually have a nuclear warhead that can fit inside the missile, so they're even closer to having a nuclear weapon that could strike the United States. But it's not that they've moved them, like in the Cuban Missile Crisis, that they've moved them within striking distance of the United States, or they have, pardon me, they have one now or have the navigation system that can get here. So it's not a real, serious, direct military threat. It's verbal threats that Donald Trump is responding to, that we, that we hear from Kim Jong-un, as he, as he admits in this next cut. He has been very threatening. He's been threatening. Uh, beyond a normal statement. And as I said, they will be met with fire, fury, and frankly, power, the likes of which this world has never seen before. Classic Trump. You just got to, he said this, I got to say something even stronger. I know what. Kim Jong-un will come out today and say something, and Trump will still be over the top. The, the risk is, I mean, think about it. Think about it. The American people, what the hell did you do last November to put this guy single-handedly in charge of deciding whether or not we go to nuclear war or we, we go to war against North Korea? He can do it like that. He can do it, you know, by, I'm not saying nuclear war, but it's a military action just by Calling up the, the, the General Mattis. By the way, Matt, General Mattis, Rex Tillerson, the level heads in his administration are saying, hey, let's cool it. Cool your jets. Slow down. Talks are the only way to, to, to bring North Korea to its senses. That's what China wants, what Japan wants. We stop our military games with South Korea. They stop their missile tests. We sit down at the table. That's the only answer. No, Donald Trump would rather have some big show of military force. Here are a couple of takeaways from this from a number number one. During the election, Hillary Clinton had a lot of Republican generals or generals who served under Republicans and military types who came out and said, 
we're lifelong Republicans, but we're supporting Hillary Clinton because we just don't trust Donald Trump with the nuclear codes, and we don't trust him to take us into war, and that's yeah, that's yeah. fair. Now, it's a verbal tick of Trump's to throw things in, like it's the greatest thing you've ever seen, or you will have never seen anything like this right. before. But if you listen, if you cut through what he just said, that is a threat of nuclear war because— yeah, absolutely. To escalate this to a point where there will be, quote, fire and fury to a, quote, like, to see things that, quote, we have never seen before, that is a message directly to North Korea, whether he means it or not. I think it's just a verbal tick of Trump to just throw this out there. But the message to somebody, a, a, an opponent, is we're going to hit you with everything that we've got, and we have nuclear power. I mean, the the least you can say about this, right, is, I mean, we're not at war, but we're certainly he's brought us to the brink of war with this kind of rhetoric, uh, which is irresponsible. Um, and and um, the, 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 the best you can say about it is it's not very helpful. It does not do anything to calm things down. It does not getting it does not move us toward the road of resolving this issue. And this is an issue, uh, North Korea becoming a nuclear power that has bedeviled Bill Clinton and George W. Bush and Barack Obama, and they all worked on it. They never achieved it. And now we're at the point, right, where, um, where as, I, as I mentioned, it was also reported yesterday, it kind of got lost in Donald Trump's rhetoric, that uh, North Korea has moved a lot faster than we thought. They not only, and we've seen this with the ICBM, that's capable now of reaching Los Angeles, Chicago, New York, with the right trajectory. But now we learned yesterday, our intelligence agency reported, that they actually now have a nuclear weapon, have developed one small enough to fit on the top of this missile, inside of this missile cone. (coughs) Pardon me. Uh, Experts also say there are two more steps to go. One is they need a cone that can re-enter the atmosphere without burning, uh, burning that nuclear weapon up which that seems they haven't developed yet. And secondly, they need a navigation system that can really put it right on the, uh, direct it right to the uh, intended target, wherever that, uh, wherever that happens to be. But uh, our military experts now are saying they are within a year. By 2018, they should have those next two steps figured out, and then they would be, in fact, uh, a direct nuclear military threat uh, to the United States of America, which does raise the question, by the way, uh, 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 our intelligence agencies until, um, I don't know, a couple of months ago, uh, were saying that uh, North Korea was maybe five years away from getting to this point. So once again, <laughs> a little side issue is worth mentioning. Once again, our intelligence agencies that we put give so much money to and so much leeway to to whatever to do whatever they want to do once again they screwed up once again they missed it just like the intelligence just like they missed uh, and they were so wrong about weapons of mass destruction uh, uh, in in Iraq uh, just like they were so wrong uh, about Russia uh, and the hacking and they were so because they didn't spot it at first and they were so wrong about Russia and Crimea and on and on it just keeps happening that the intelligence agencies blow it and don't get the information that uh, we thought that they were out there collecting. But back to the back to uh, where Donald Trump is going. And by the way, 
um, we'd like your your comments on this, and let, let's just put the put the word out there. Uh, do you trust Donald Trump dealing with North Korea? Peter, how do we how do we people respond? What? On Twitter, on Twitter at BP Show. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. We're gonna have a poll up there in just a moment. Right. At so, do you trust Donald Trump to deal with North Korea? Um, by the way, there's something very uh, leer, eerie um, when you look back in history, almost to the day. So Donald Trump made those comments yesterday on August eight. Let's go to the Wayback Machine, August 6, 1945. Uh, here is President Harry S. Truman. Let there be no mistake. We shall completely destroy Japan's power to make war. It was to spare the Japanese spare the Jap- people from utter destruction that the ultimatum of July the 26th was issued at Potsdam. Their leaders promptly rejected that ultimatum. If they do not now accept our terms, they may expect a reign of ruin from the air, the like of which has never been seen on this earth. Yeah, Donald Trump was just about an echo, word for word, of what Harry Truman said back then, and that was right before we dropped the nuclear bomb, the only nation ever to use it against another nation, uh, of course, on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, there was reaction yesterday from Democrats and Republicans. Democrat, uh, Democratic Senator from uh, California, Diane Feinstein, uh, said this was just bombastic rhetoric, which makes, just made things even worse. Uh, John McCain saw this as just kind of a classic Donald Trump. It's not terrible what he said, but it's kind of the classic Trump in that he overstates things. Uh, yeah, but sort of contradicting himself. Uh, yeah, it, it is. It is bad what he said. Uh, Donald, uh, John McCain saying this is a serious matter. I think this is very, very, very serious. And I think that the rotund ruler in Pyongyang, he's not crazy, but he certainly is ready to go to the brink. Uh, yeah, well, he, I think he's both rotund and crazy. Uh, and Congressman Ted Lieu, our good friend from uh, California yesterday, saying uh, that, uh, that what Donald Trump is doing, basically lobbing a hand grenade right into the headquarters of Kim Jong-un. This is like a rhetorical grenade. We don't know how North Korea views these words. Yeah, I think we do know that's how the th- they view these th- words. Th- that's a really, really important point, but, even though it seems obvious. We look at Donald Trump saying things like that, and we go, oh, that's just what he says. Yeah, but, right? Like, he's always been this loudmouth, and he overstates and over-exaggerates and goes that far. But, like, this is not a time for that, you no, know? No, no, And again, North Korea might say that, that, you know, that, that what that means is a missile's on its way. Yeah. That can right? easily be interpreted as saying, we have a nuclear warhead coming to you. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about this before, but just the very idea of what that would mean. Uh, if they're talking about, and, and, and you hear this rhetoric out of the White House, a limited military strike against specific military targets in North Korea. What that, what that, would, what that would mean is that would unleash a massive... Uh, a missile attack, existing missiles on Seoul, North Korea, where hundreds of thousands would be killed, including, including, many, many, many Americans who are stationed there. So I mean, we're, we're re- I mean, this, this, this would be immediate, immediate bloodbath uh, on the, on that peninsula. 
clearly our military is stronger. Our military, we have the capacity of crushing and destroying North Korea uh, militarily, economically. Yeah, but what, what, how, how many people, how many lives would be lost and, and uh, how much damage would, would, would result in, the, uh, uh, in, 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 that, in that process? Um, that raises the issue. But the, the, so our question to you, whether you trust Donald Trump on North Korea, uh, we, we hear from that. And already we've seen uh, some indication that the American people don't. CNN's poll yesterday, we mentioned this briefly, but it but, but really fits in right here. Do you trust what you hear from the Trump White House? I, I find this just stunning, the result. CNN asked that question. The results, 38%, by the way, 38% Donald Trump is, that's, the, that's as low as his favorable rating is today. Only 38% of Americans say he's doing a good job as president. 56% say unfavorable. But on the question, do you trust what you hear from the Trump White House in the CNN poll? 73% of Americans across the board, Republicans, Democrats, independents, three out of four Americans say they don't trust anything they hear out of the Trump White House. Don't believe it. Now, that lack of credibility has to impact anything that Donald Trump is trying to do. Uh, anything that Republicans in Congress are trying to do. If you can't believe the man in the White House about anything, how can you get anything done? I mean, you talk about a credibility gap. We've never seen that before. No. Uh, never, first of all, we've never seen that pop, that low a level of favorability, down to 38% now. That's a record. Uh, but 73% don't trust anything on the White House. Unbelievable. Maybe here's another little example of, um, of why people feel that way. You know, we have heard uh, from Donald Trump nothing, nothing but criticism of Robert Mueller uh, attempts to you know, fire James Comey, and you know he wants to fire Robert Mueller, and he's pissed off at Jeff Sessions because Jeff Sessions recused himself, so now he can't fire Robert Mueller. He'd have to depend on Rod Rosenstein to do it on and on. And publicly, how many times have we heard Donald Trump call this whole Russian investigation the greatest witch hunt ever in the history of the country and it's nothing but uh, but a fake news and a phony investigation and ought to be dropped and everything. Well, yesterday, Donald Trump's attorney, get this, Donald Trump's attorney admitted, somebody found out about this, probably somebody leaked it. Jake Tapper on CNN yesterday reported it. And the White House confirmed that Donald Trump, meanwhile, has been sending little notes, handwritten notes, to Robert Mueller saying, just want you to know how much I appreciate what you're doing. How much, how, how I appreciate how fair you're being. Yes, mm-hmm. little love notes to Robert Mueller at the same time. What, I mean, so it reminds me on with this guy? It you know? reminds me of like when Don King would get investigated or go to go to court, he would he would buy every juror a like a big vacation after he was found not guilty. <laughs> oh, really? You know, like Donald Trump is absolutely <laughs> capable of that behavior. <laughs> he is essentially Don King. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. Um, and one other issue. Uh, th- this didn't get much attention yesterday, but um, I think it should. Uh, there was a, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, Donald Trump, he is so in such a hurry to roll back every regulation that Barack Obama put in place, particularly when it comes to environmental issues, but also when it comes to public safety issue. This is the latest. 
So there was a rule pending the Department of Transportation adopted uh, in the last uh, months of the Obama administration that said that uh, from now on, every truck driver, bus driver, and engineers on train engineers, freight trains, passenger trains, commuter trains, whatever, uh, would have to be tested for sleep apnea because there have been many, many serious accidents. Remember that big commuter train crash, uh, I think it was in 2013, up in New York? Found out the engineer had sleep apnea. Didn't get enough sleep, fell asleep at the switch or the wheel, whatever, boom. There have been so many serious um, big truck accidents on the freeways, other train accidents, freight trains colliding, all as a result of sleep apnea. So the Department of Transportation had a, a, a regulation it was out there for public comment. That's was headed down that road. That just like pilots, every pilot must be federal law, federal rule, must be tested for sleep apnea. They were also going to say every bus driver, truck driver, and train engineer. The Trump administration yesterday said, no, nope, we're dropping that. No, we don't care. We're going to leave it up to companies, up to trucking companies or uh, uh, Amtrak or the freight, comp- uh, freight lines or Greyhound or whatever bus lines on whether or not they test their drivers. That's a public safety hazard. I mean, how could you, who could be against that, right? And then uh, we're not saying every driver of every car, but if you're, you've got other people's lives in your hands, you're driving a busload of 50 people, school kids or churchgoers or kind of whatever, or driving a, one of these, 18 wheelers on the road or you're driving <laughs> the Amtrak train up to New York which I take off and right yeah you would think it's just made common sense of course they ought to be tested for sleep apnea and how much is it going to cost us anyway and why not do it who could be against that only somebody like Donald Trump whose mission is to undo everything that Barack Obama did whether it was good or bad it just doesn't make any sense at all you notice in his little tweet storm earlier this week where he was uh, uh, bragging about how strong his base was, one of the things he mentioned in all the things that he's gotten done is deregulation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, like, this is just a classic example. He doesn't even know, like, what the regulations do necessarily or how they help. He just knows that in his mind and in his view, uh, any regulation is bad regulation. Like, this, this is common sense and makes, make, makes pretty good sense, I think. So to, to test for it, not to get yeah, rid of it, yeah, <laughs> but no, to like look for it. No, I, 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 I try to see both sides of every sure. argument. I, I, I cannot see any, any, any argument that could be made against this other than the trucking companies who just don't want to bother. And they don't care about people's lives, right? They care about the bottom line. That's all. Uh, we said this before, but to me, I, I, I rem- remembered it again today, and I just want to bring it to you one more time. This is the, the great H.L. Mencken. Back in 1920, uh, his prediction, quote, as democracy is perfected, the office of the president represents more and more closely the inner soul of the people. On some great and glorious day, the plain folks of the land will reach their heart's desire at last, and the White House will be occupied by a downright fool and complete narcissistic moron. We are there. And Adam Smith is here joining us next from Every Voice to talk about, oh, man, we have an annex to the White House. Did you hear? (laughs) 
Yeah, it's a little hotel just up the street here in Washington, D.C., the Bill Press Show, Wednesday, August 9th. Stay with us. commentary the best clips from the show all in one place youtube.com slash the bill press show wednesday august 9 hello 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 uh, yes indeed uh, great to see you today as we come to you live from our nation's capital our studio on capitol hill brought to you today by the american federation of teachers we salute the great teachers of america gearing up to start the school year again even before the end of this month uh, under the leadership of President Randy Weingarten. Uh, they do during the Lord's work every day, uh, and we thank them for the support of the program. Yes, the Washington Post reporting that, in effect, um, the White House is just not big enough to hold everybody. It's not that big a building anyhow, so uh, they needed to expand a little bit. Now they have an annex to the White House. It's right up the street. It's called the Trump International Hotel. Adam Smith, director of Every Voice, joins us in studio. Um, Good morning. It's easier to get into the Trump Hotel, Adam, too, right, than it is in the White House. It absolutely is, yeah. it's. Um, so what's going on there? Sure, what's- sure. It's, uh, it has really changed the, like Washington and changed how politicians interact in Washington. It's really wild. There's a really great restaurant scene in Washington. There's a really great bar scene. But everybody's choosing to go to this downtown hotel where nobody else is uh, to just uh, spend all their money and it's only because they know it's buying influence with the president and it's uh, members of Congress the president of Romania was seen there um, uh, staffers stayed there Steve Mnuchin the Treasury Secretary stayed there for six months on his own dime before finding a place um, it's it's where well, everyone's but, but, but he said on his own dime I'll oh, he bet said, you yeah I'll bet you check his expense reports Right. Also, it says what kind of cabinet members he, he has appointed that they can spend, they oh, can stay the yes. uh, for six oh, yeah. months at like a three or $400 night at a hotel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I haven't been into the hotel yet. Yeah. And I'm not sure that I'm going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you remember, like, you talk about the restaurant scene, which we do have a great restaurant scene. We have a great bar scene here, too. But the cheapest cocktail that you could buy at the Trump Hotel is $24. Yeah. Yeah. For a cocktail. Whoa. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, it's like, you know, it's like a bourbon cocktail. It's that happy hour? super special. <laughs> it's not even happy hour, right? No. Yeah. Is that Whoa. nuts? It, that it's is. it's really wild. And I think that when you're going somewhere to pay 20, when you're a trade association, when you're a lobbyist, and you're going somewhere that costs $24 for a cocktail, you're not going there for the cocktails, right? You're going there so that the president and his family know that the the Bankers Association uh, is at this hotel talking about uh, repealing Dodd-Frank. And so they, oh, well, they're spending money there. We want to do that. Right. Yeah. And as you pointed out, uh, and the Post uh, reported yesterday, um, people go there because the chances are they're going to run into a cabinet member. Mm-hmm. Cabinet members have meetings there with lobbyists, with interest groups. Yep. Right. Um, uh, people are scheduling their a lot of a lot of organizations come to Washington, and and they have legislative roundups or yep. kind of whatever. I mean, uh, you know, as, as 
uh, in my public speaking side of my career, you know, yeah. I do a lot of that meeting with groups here. So more and more of those groups are scheduling their meetings at the Trump Hotel because then when they, if they see the president or some member of the family, they can say, oh, we were there at the hotel, your hotel. Yeah. Boy, what a great place. You yeah, know? absolutely. Yeah. And people know that Trump, as much as Trump says, I'm isolated from my company. No, I don't no. you know, deal with the daily ins and outs. His sons are providing him, they've said they're providing him regular updates. And he keeps track, track of those things. There's you no question in my mind that he knows the, the trade yeah. associations that have been there and the lobbyists that have been there and is, knows how to be friendly to them. Right. Uh, and and it's it's it's, uh, it's yeah, we got to remind ourselves that what that means is every twenty four dollar drink, Peter, right? Every drink, every every th- every meal, every room you pay for, every conference you hold there, that mo- some of that money is going into Donald Trump's pocket. Absolutely, yeah. And the thing that stuck out to me was how there, much or at Mar-a-Lago or yeah. at Bedminster. Yeah, what stuck out to me is how much Republican candidate committees themselves are spending money there. Right? You know, like, they could go anywhere. They could stay on Capitol Hill where all of them live and work, but no, they go down Pennsylvania Avenue and they're spending, you know, Dana Rohrbacher spent like $10,000 at the Hotel the Congress in California, but you even have people like Lindsey Graham having cocktails there. Or others and uh, members. There's about a dozen Dana, members of Stanford. Dana Roebucker spent ten thousand dollars for on, on what? I think he had I two think drinks. It was just some probably some sort of fundraising event. Uh, but you even have members spending a couple hundred dollars. So that's like dinner with a with a yeah, donor yeah. or a small cocktail fundraiser. A couple hundred um, dollars to buy a nice steak with ketchup on. Yeah, it, it's uh, <laughs> uh, well done uh, steak with ketchup. <laughs> yeah, please, yes. Um, and that's what sticks out to maybe, me the most. Maybe is they're one. all trying. <laughs> yeah, maybe one to help I him profit. Yeah, but it is. I mean, right? It's and 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 um, as I said, it's not just there. It's all of his properties. Yeah, around the world. Yeah, he. I saw a stat this morning. Um, he's in Bedminster, and it's his <laughs> his golf club in New Jersey, yeah. and it's his sixty fourth day of his. 200-some-day presidency at a Trump property. Um, he's there <laughs> like one out of three days. I think that math is about right. Yeah, no, that's about right because we just passed uh, day 200. Yeah, so one out of three days oh he's been president. God. He's profited off the presidency. I mean, and the thing is this hotel is like a monument to the foreign – monument to violating the Constitution. Um, uh, every dollar he takes from uh, foreign governments, you know, uh, the so- – yeah recently a couple months ago was was trying to beat that that legislation that would allow 911 victims of 911 to sue the hijackers or the sue the governments and they had events there and spent tons like thousands of dollars on lobbying um uh, or thousands of dollars. The lobby spent thousands of dollars. So they were getting this money. And that was right before Trump went to Saudi Arabia. And so these foreign governments spending money at this property are a violation of the Constitution's foreign bribery clause, too. Right. Well, to my knowledge, except for one overnight at Camp David. Yeah. Maybe it was two nights, but one week. He has not gone anywhere else as president other than his property. Yeah, it's foreign Mar- properties, uh, Mar- Camp David. I mean, foreign foreign trips, Camp David, and, and like his, his own. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. right. The foreign trips. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, in terms right. of downtime, yeah. those were work trips. Yeah, even downtime. in Washington, when he's here and he leaves the White House, he he's, goes to his. He, he hasn't gone anywhere other than uh, no. The he Trump goes Hotel to his golf course dinner. in Maryland, Maryland, um, or he goes to his Trump Hotel for uh, dinner. Virginia, uh, Sterling, Virginia. Oh yeah, right? that's right. Sterling, that's right. Virginia. Right. Yeah, that one. 
or uh, weekends in Mar-a-Lago, mm-hmm. but that's shut down now for the season. Yeah. So now it's like he it's needs this cocoon around him where he knows that he can, one, profit out of the presidency and people are really are likely to not protest him. Because if, if he did go to some of the other restaurants in Washington, people would probably be lo- a bit loud about it. Yeah. You're damn right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. You imagine if he went into one of the, like, oh, more, because there, I mean, there are a lot of restaurateurs here who are pretty, pro, like, progressive yeah. and socially active and politically active. Yeah. And he, He'd get kicked out of some of those restaurants. And he probably wouldn't go to places like the Obamas went, like Comey, right? That's right. That's sort of a fancy, like, <laughs> 20-course dinner place that doesn't have ketchup or well-done burgers. Right. So, he goes to the nice sushi restaurant and asks them to microwave it. Yeah. Like, maybe he'll go to a Five Guys. Yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the, don't knock Five Guys. No, I listen. <laughs> I w- will never knock Five Guys. Okay, good. And if he walked into Five Guys, I would hope they'd protest. Yeah. I would if I were yeah. in there. Well, uh, so <laughs> back to the other thing about these these places is People schedule their events there because there's the chance they'll he'll walk Absolutely. in. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like this wedding party at Bedminster over the weekend, right? Yeah, yeah, you know. So he'll drop into your wedding. Back in, the New York Times had this story back in June where they found this brochure at Bedminster that said, hey, and if you have your event, event here, maybe Trump will stop in. You never know, which was a clear marketing off the presidency. And then the, the hotel said, we have discontinued that brochure. It is not around anymore. He's tripped to Bedminster. What does he do? He crashes a wedding. Yeah. Absolutely. It is a marketing tool for them. And he knows it, and everybody knows it who has their events there. Right. All right. So back to the hotel for just a yeah. second. So the, but, you know, we, we, we sort of buried the lead here, right, in the sense that the hotel itself is a violation of federal rules, correct? Yes. There, um, the, there are rules against uh, government employees um, – have getting paid by the government other than their salary, right? And so because the hotel is owned by the, the U.S. government, the General Services Administration, and Trump leases it from them, he is in violation of the lease and of the uh, federal rules. And we all know that. And 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 there were stories before he was sworn in yeah. that the day he takes, the moment, minute he takes the oath of office, he is in violation of the General Services Administration federal leasing Regulations. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, the, and here we are, day 202 or whatever, and he's still there. And what do they do? They just look the other way. Yeah, so the GSA sort of gave him a free pass. The memo that the GSA sent around, the, that guy who sent that memo was, I believe, no longer at the agency, but uh, sent this memo that a lot of people who who follow these things, legal experts mm-hmm. and stuff, said it was the strangest memo they'd ever seen. It was very defensive. It was using news reports. It was just a very strange uh, defense of the continued use of the hotel. So basically, you know, we know you're violating the law, but we don't care. Yeah, it, it was very strange. Um, nobody else would have gotten that kind of dispensation has. like he yeah. has. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, and then... Um, back to the the money uh, that again that property and any other property um, that that is going into his pocket. Some of that is coming from foreign governments, right? Yes, it absolutely and, is. But we know that foreign diplomats are encouraged to stay there mm-hmm. or to have their events there. We, we've talked before. You and I yeah. talked about. Uh, I think it was um, Kuwait or somebody that they moved an event from. Some yeah. other location 
to that hotel. They yeah, they did. The um, and then I said earlier the um, the Saudi Arabia lobbying it goes back to you know the king of the king of Saudi Arabia that money. The president of Romania stayed there and was like having cocked. I don't know if he stayed there, but he was having like drinks there. And then the next day he has that joint press conference and meeting with the president. Um, and people have been. Bra- I mean, these people were bragging that this is what they're going to do, and so they're taking those. Yeah. For- so the hotel is taking that that foreign money, and then supposedly. They are going to donate um, whatever profits they make from that back to the U.S. government. But well, we, that's what Trump we said. haven't that's... seen that yet. And also, uh, the his business partner in Las Vegas has said that he's not keeping track of that. Like at their Vegas hotel, he's not keeping track of the foreign ones, foreign money. And there's like really strange. The depending on the definition of what profits are, hotels don't have a high profit margin. And so, like, are they meaning like? The, the actual profit or the payments? Because if it's the payments, payments uh, to the hotel and profits are a different thing. And so there still could be payments going into the hotel that don't count as profits. By the way, uh, apropos of nothing, but um, somebody told me that, that uh, I've seen the Trump. First of all, I've, on the, for the record, like Peter, I have not been in this Trump hotel yeah. in Washington, D.C. Uh-huh. And my personal pledge to myself is I will never step foot in it. Mm-hmm. Now I hope I don't violate that. Right. I'm I'm just afraid that something's going to happen, and there's some reason. I've been I to a protest to outside, but I oh, that doesn't count. That, yeah, that's, yeah, that that's doesn't cool. count. I've walked by it. Right. I've driven right. by it. You right. can't help but do we that. We all yelled but... "shame" as the motorcade came by, which felt <laughs> nice. Oh, that was good. Yeah. I'll bet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the the Trump Tower in Las Vegas, which I've seen, never been in that either. It's up that end of the strip. Uh, does not have a casino. I think oh, it's the only right. hotel in, in in Vegas that does not have a casino. Uh, yeah. One of the only ones, anyhow. And uh, apparently, I mean, Trump wanted a casino, and he was turned down. Oh, really? Because of his uh, reputation his, and his... his and his, casinos? Yeah, and his experience in Atlantic City, where he went wow. bankrupt. Yeah. Why would you so, stay at a hotel in Las Vegas if it doesn't have a casino? I have no freaking idea. Because it's know, sort of... Right? I've been there. It's sort of out of the way, too, right? It is a little out of the way. No, it's just up, it's up the far end of the strip. Yeah. No, no. I like to go to Las Vegas for the culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't even gamble. I go there for the weather, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's just yeah. so beautiful. <laughs> I, I love Vegas, but I wouldn't. I don't gamble, and yeah. I would not stay at a hotel that didn't have a casino because yeah. that's half the fun is watching right. the people in the Yeah, casinos. the people watching. Yeah, damn right. Get the drinks when you're doing the penny slots. Absolutely. Yeah. Walk, walking through and yeah. yeah, enjoy that. There really is nothing like walking through a hotel uh, casino and knowing that you're looking at someone at probably the lowest point in their life. <laughs> 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 it really, that really does capture. Uh-huh. All right. So, um, <laughs> so. Donald Trump at one time, I've got to find this clip again, Peter. We have to, we have to have this in our machine to use all the time. He at one time said that he was the only person who could run for president and make money at it. Yeah, right? he did say that. Yes, and he's and, and by the way, he did that during the campaign for yep. sure. Mm-hmm. And that's the way he's running the White House. Absolutely, it is a for them. Just another business venture, isn't yeah. it? Right? Yeah, it absolutely is. Um, For the greatest business venture of all. Yeah, and it's, you know, his own campaign and, is and still think, making lots of money off of it, too. And think forever, yeah. forever, that Trump name. Yeah, absolutely. Some people will pull pull people into Trump properties around the world. Yeah, though I do think that one, the, the D.C. hotel is a, a sort of slightly different in that is mostly people are going there because of the the 
ability to have access to the president. If you look right. at, yeah. so yeah. Trump has a golf club or a golf course in LA, right? And its business is doing terribly. Uh, bookings are down. People aren't golfing there. Um, mm. There's no um, there's no proximity to the president, proximity to power there. It's so, also because people in L.A. have more class. Right. So there's a couple things. There's no proximity to power, and <laughs> people don't want to be affiliated with the Trump name in California. But that's, I think, an interesting difference when you look at um, uh, how this hotel is being used because it's a couple blocks in the White House versus one in California where, the Trump, where Trump doesn't visit. You notice that uh, he has not gone to California as president, right? He goes to places where he knows he'll get a right. I'm interested to see where he goes. Crowd. Yeah, I'm interested. He says he's supposed to go to New York for meetings next week. Uh, assuming Trump he'll Tower. stay in Trump Tower, will he maybe go to the Trump Soho, which has been laying off workers that hotel because it's uh, not doing a good business? Does he need to prop that up? It'll be interesting to see what he does there. Hmm. Um, okay, so um, we just skipped through. This um, question about getting all these payments oh, from yeah. foreign Sorry. leaders. Well, it's just, we've been going in a lot of different directions. Um, we come back to the famous emoluments clause. Yes. Yeah. So there is a clause in the Constitution of that's called the emoluments clause, but I like to call it the foreign bribery clause, which basically says the president, other government officials cannot accept foreign gifts or payments. Uh, or gifts or payments from foreign governments. Uh, our founders were uniquely aware of the problem of foreign influence in our government and our elections, and they said we want to put a stop to that. And so they put this is is uh, they put this in the Constitution, and um, generally, uh, presidents have abided by it. Uh, you know, Jimmy Carter famously, I mean, abided by divesting and getting rid of all their business to prevent these things. Um, there was, uh, there was, uh, I think the king of, uh, it was then Siam, sent uh, like war elephants or something mm -hmm. as a gift and, and they were turned down. Um, the uh, other times Congress can... You know, Andrew Jackson was some... It was Andrew Jackson and the War Elephants. Or, or the sword. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I don't have that. I right, but, remember I've said that before, but I don't remember the actual details. But yes, these things have happened, and they're usually gifts, like elephants or a sword. And Congress does have the power, granted by the Constitution, to say, all right, you can accept that emolument. Right. Um, but now we're in the situation where the government and Trump is saying these are emoluments, and the government isn't doing its duty to say whether he can or cannot accept these payments. So it's pretty clear, I think, that oh, he is in violation of the Emoluments Clause. Yes. It's just and never been tested before. It's never been tested. But it will it, – well, well, but it may be tested now yes. uh, under lawsuits filed by Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, yes. Crew. Yes. So Crew filed a lawsuit on their behalf saying all these violations of the emoluments was, was – uh, uh, causing injury to them because they had to spend all their time doing it. Um, add, they added to the lawsuit some D.C. restaurant owners who were saying because uh, they were being harmed because of the profits they would receive are now going to Trump's hotel from these foreign interests and others. Yeah. Um, and also uh, the Restaurant Opportunity Center, United, also joined it. 
Um, and so they've filed this lawsuit several earlier earlier this year. The DOJ, Attorney Justice, initially responded. Is this sort of extraordinary document that basically said, no, the president can accept all the foreign payments he wants without exception, which is sort of this incredible document that the American government is saying the president can take whatever he wants from foreigners. Um, and then the uh, crew- well, they, they claim basically that none of the laws apply to Donald yeah. Trump, correct? Yeah, and they use a really tortured reading of history of- uh, what past presidents have done and of uh, like historic documents. Uh, and so then Crew finally responded last week to that and said, you all are doing a tortured reading of history. They did this thing where they took, uh, they looked at every single dictionary from like from like the past 300 years at like the definition of emoluments and said it's basically common under commonly understood what emoluments are and you're saying something that's different than what's commonly understood so that's they filed i don't exactly know the timeline from here on but the re, if whether the trial will be allowed to go forward or not the real question is can they get to discovery phase because if they get to the discovery phase of the lawsuit that means they'll get the tax returns something yeah. that they have not been able to get so i believe the lawsuit should go forward and uh, that he's in violation, but it would be great to at least get to that part where we got to see the tax returns. Have they established standing or have they been given standing? That's what they're waiting. No, I think that's what they're waiting to see if they get the standing. Um, I think that this lawsuit, because there's an additional lawsuit that people feel really good about on the standing, which is the one from the D.C. and Maryland governments saying that they are losing taxpayer money at their government uh, convention centers because people are choosing Trump parties over theirs. Oh, right. Yeah. Well, it seems to me that that standing in that case would be is pretty clear. Yeah, experts have said that they see that as the strongest case because it's sort of there's a co-equal sovereign thing about it. This is a government saying we're being, you know, uh, harmed by another government. Right. Uh, I believe that of all the different ways people say how's it going to end, you know, when's it going to end, and what's going to bring Donald Trump down, uh, any short of not running for re-election or being rejected in 2020. I think it's going to be financial stuff, and yeah. and, and that's, that's why I think these lawsuits and this whole investigation are so important. You're right. If they get into the money, um, which they have to, mm-hmm. right, then you've got his financial records, tax returns, whatever business deals he might have with Russia. Yeah. I mean, the whole— Or, the, you know, the mafia-type stuff years ago. Yeah. There's yeah. lots of the sort whole... of shady stuff in there. Yeah. Um, and I, for me, I think that what, what I hope is what voters see is that they have, you know, here's this guy who's trying to take their health care away, who's trying to uh, cut taxes on the rich. All the while, he's like going into 17 day yeah. vacation and making millions I'm off sorry. the government. It is. It's ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. You yeah. mentioned in terms of businesses that are impacted. Yeah. Uh, also, there's a story this week about um, businesses around Bedminster yeah. that are not happy that he's there because it kind of shuts them down. Yeah, so when the president goes somewhere, um, it shuts down airspace in the vicinity of that location. So and they can't, and nobody they, nobody can fly near Bedminster. Yeah, yeah it yeah. shuts down or severely limits it. I don't quite know what the Secret Service rules are. But so there are... Um, 
there are several tiny airports around um, around Bedminster. Bedminster. Um, you know, these aren't places that United flies into, right? These are no, like no, uh, amateur no. flyers, uh, training schools, uh, chartered yeah. uh, private Pri- planes. Yeah. And what these uh, and so these are run by small businesses. These are small business owners. And uh, one guy who runs one of these companies said his business was down twenty percent. Um, people aren't able to fly. Um, they aren't able to get it out of the airport. One guy said one of the airports around New Jersey, a helicopter company, was going to come there, but now they can't. They said no, we. Can't can't handle losing all that business. Same thing happened at the airports around Mar-a-Lago. Uh, these Trump is profiting off the presidency, and because he's doing that, he's hurting these small businesses. Um, and that really sticks out to me as as this as shows um, just how little he cares about people like that. But there have been a lot of stories about Mar-a-Lago uh, yeah. near nearby businesses that have been um, severely yeah. negatively impacted. Uh, by the, the Trump presence there. Yeah, and I'm sure past presidents have, uh, you know, past presidents have traveled, and yeah. I'm sure this has happened in, in those places, but it's never been at this magnitude, right? Tr- Trump went to Mar-a-Lago so many times, like every weekend, these people yeah. were losing their businesses. The, now for 17 days straight, these people are losing business, and they're going to have a hard time, like, paying their bills. What's the website, Every Voice? Everyvoice.org. Everyvoice.org. Follow Adam Smith and all the good work they're doing. Thanks, Adam, for coming in. Thanks for being here. John Allen joins us. Friend this of Bill. Next is the Bill Press Show. Hey, what do you know? We made it through the night without starting a war. <laughs> well, let's hope we can make another 24 hours. Hello, everybody. What do you say? Wednesday, August 9, the Bill Press Show live from Washington, D.C., our nation's uh, capital. But the attention of the world yesterday was on Bedminster, New Jersey, where uh, Donald Trump threatened fire and fury and power like the world has never seen before against North Korea. Uh, John Allen is here, all suited up, ready to go to war when necessary. Uh, hello, John. This uh, is serious uh, stuff, man. I mean, even the mother of dragons, who has dragons at her disposal, doesn't talk like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, are we going to start having to call Donald Trump like Khaleesi? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just gonna, it's, uh, the, the rhetoric between Kim Jong-un and Donald Trump, right? <laughs> How I mean, it's really go. amazing. I, I do think that there's – I think it's too easy to compare them and say that they're the same because I don't right. think they're the same. I think Kim Jong-un is legitimately a lunatic, like beyond any conception of American thought of lunatic. Yeah. But I, there, there are a lot of similarities between the two, which we'll get into. Okay. All right, which we will get into. With all of you and your comments, welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Uh, but you know what we have to do, right? But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news. John, you have young kids. Do you guys watch the Disney movies on Netflix? Yeah, we actually had a big discussion about this news story you are about to read last night. <laughs> okay, all right. So Uh-oh. a lot of the Disney movies are all on Netflix. So if mm-hmm. you're a subscriber to Netflix, you automatically get to watch a lot of different Disney movies. Well, Disney announced yesterday that they are pulling all of their movies off of Netflix and they're going to start a streaming service of their own. Now, I'm actually surprised that it I took thought th- they had a streaming service. I was going to say, I, thought, I, I figured they would have done this already because they have yeah. such a deep backlog of mm. movies. And, they, and they're constantly doing straight-to-video stuff. I would have figured they would have done this already, but apparently not. They had relied on uh, Netflix to help get the stuff out there. So if I mean, you are- there was Disney long before there was Netflix. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Legacy but media. I think it's interesting. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, uh, who knows? They, hadn't, they didn't announce what the pricing was going to be yet oh. uh, or anything like that, but I imagine they'll move pretty quickly. It'll so. cost at least 10 times as much to watch one of those movies of, of like, Mickey Mouse from the 30s as it did uh, oh, yeah. when it came out. You think oh, so? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, we go to well, Orlando, Florida, where a, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> you know, they still have these Confederate statues and memorials all around the country, and they're bringing them down in city after city after city. There was a, there was a statue for Johnny Reb inside of Orlando's Eola Park. And so they took the, the statue up yesterday, and while they were there, they uncovered beneath the statue a time capsule from 1911. And they didn't even know it was there. It, hadn't, it wasn't really marked. They didn't know what to do with it, so they, they opened it up. <laughs> and it turns out there was some really well-preserved newspapers from 1911. There was some Confederate currency under there and lots of other Confederate sort of... Uh, but 1911? 1911. It'd be a lot earlier than that. Well, the, so clearly they were making statues to Johnny Reb pretty late. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. That's kind of the point there, so... Uh, yeah, I thought that was kind of nuts. And uh, I don't know if you eat Little Caesars pizza. I don't eat Little Caesars pizza. I, I wouldn't Little eat Caesar's Little Caesars pizza. pizza. The idea no. with Little Caesars pizza. Just the name of it, I wouldn't. He would be angry if I took his pizza. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the idea with Little Caesars pizza is you walk in and they have pizza already made and you pay for it to somebody. They hand you a pizza and you walk out where they're changing things completely. They're cutting the workers out to where you could walk into a Little Caesars pizza and they have what they are calling a pizza portal. Where you walk in, you insert your money or your credit card, and then it will open the door and you get a hot pizza and walk out. No human interaction at all. None of that, uh, 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 you know, but, actually trading money with another person. You just walk in, get it, and leave. You know, I wasn't around. You probably weren't around. Then, but was, isn't, are we going backwards? Wasn't this the old Horn and Hard Arts cafeteria model in New York where they, you know, I just read about those. Where they had all these food and these little doors, and you opened the door and took a piece of pie out or something that's like a vending machine yeah but with pizza but who sure makes it who ma- this is the bill press show yeah what do you say donald trump says we need a distraction so we stopped talking about the Russian investigation. Here's an idea. Let's start a war instead. Uh, that's what it sounded like yesterday. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. Thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio right here on Capitol Hill, where uh, John Allen joins us uh, today, author, co-author of Shattered, uh, the great, um, brutal book about the Hillary Clinton uh, campaign we've talked about before, and uh, we are looking at you on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Also looking at you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and so happy to join you on the Progressive Voice of Chicago, WCPT. John Allen, how's it going? It's going well. I mean, you know, aside from the threat of <laughs> nuclear annihilation. Uh, aside from living on the brink. Sort right? of on a day-to-day basis. Well, really, yeah. I mean, it's more like if you're in San Francisco or Guam. Yeah. Well, Sorry, Guam. Yeah, right. Guam is worried. They're, they're freaking out right now. You read this, the comments from the Guam officials, and they're like, they're like, it's not panic time. Anytime somebody says it's not panic time, it's panic, it's time. panic but, time. But, like, why Guam? And I guess it's because these bombers that they were flying over in the 
it's close to North Korean airspace, right? We're from based in at our base in Guam. Yeah, so, I mean, it's our land, right? So yeah. you hit Guam, you hit the United States. Uh, it's kind of like NATO. If you hit Guam, the rest of us have to like jump in. Right. So uh, we heard the uh, um, bombastic rhetoric yesterday from Donald Trump. We'll get into that in just a second. But we've also had some bombastic tweets this yeah. morning, Peter. Yeah, we've so got tweets. let's read these and we'll get up to date here. We have treat- tweets from Donald Trump. Uh, he says, first of all, he spent the morning retweeting one, two, three, four, five, six different Fox News tweets either from The Five or from Fox and Friends. He's just constantly retweeting them. But his tweets this morning that he wrote, my first order What did is, they have to do? Were they all about North Korea, too? Uh, some were about North Korea. Some was about, let's see, uh, the media bias. Uh, oh. Here's one where he talked about millions of gallons of Mexican waste threatened Border Patrol agents. That's a Fox and Friends we retweet. Uh, he tweeted about the uh, or retweeted a story about the France vehicle attack that left six soldiers injured. Okay. Uh, but then he jumped into his own tweets. All right, okay. And he says, "My first order as president was to renovate and modernize our nuclear arsenal. It is now far stronger and more powerful than ever before." Dot dot dot. That's simply not true. That's not true. I know he I hasn't mean, done that in two hundred days. No, we've no been way. doing threat reduction for. I mean, we've been <laughs> reducing our arms. Plus, for many, many years, and you can't get all that done in six months. No, plus his modernizing started under Barack Obama. Joe Sirincioni has told us about it many times. Many times. And you're right. You don't get it done in two, 200 days. Okay, right. so so okay, the first so. part, the first tweet there is complete BS. Uh, the second part of the tweet, or the second tweet, hopefully we will never have to use this power, but there will never be a time that we are not the most powerful nation in the world. Well, that second part is... Probably true. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'm for the second part. I yeah. am too, for sure. Yeah, I am too. I and want I think us to stay the most powerful. I think it's world. true today, and I think, by the way, it'll never be forever, forever, forever. But far beyond, we don't have to worry about that. I right. think is right. Right. So w- what we're talking about, of course, is what we heard yesterday uh, from the president up at uh, Bedminster, New Jersey, when he was asked about Kim Jong Un's latest verbal threats. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. Uh, Pretty red-hot rhetoric, huh? What's it mean? Uh, Well, it sounds like Truman, uh, between the two nuclear uh, Mm -hmm. uh, detonations in Japan, I mean, he basically is almost an echo of Harry Truman. Almost an echo of Harry Truman. I, I think that's important. But the difference here is Harry Truman had just shown what he could do. He'd already. I mean, the threat wasn't. It wasn't just a threat. It was very clear what he was saying. We're going to do this again. Right. Um, with Trump, you've got this language that sounds like Kim Jong Un, and uh, you know the the idea that we're going to go in there and uh, and go nuclear on North Korea and annihilate North Korea uh, preemptively is one that is um, certainly not uniformly agreed upon in the American government. Right, particularly among his generals that he's so fond of. Just just for the record here, because you and I have heard it probably in the last 24 hours, maybe not everybody has. This is all uncanny, almost to the day, August 6, 1945, Harry Truman. If they do not now accept our terms, they may expect a rain of ruin from the air 
the like of which has never been seen on this earth. Yeah. Isn't I it? mean, it's like they grabbed what Truman said. I know. I wonder whether they really did. I mean, I don't think Stephen Miller's coming up with a whole lot of new stuff on his own. Mm-hmm. The uh, yeah. president's national security advisor and speechwriter. Um, in, uh, I mean, the other thing to, to just sort of, I think, to look but, at here is Kim Jong-un at some point will have a nuclear warhead capable of reaching the United States, and maybe he does now. Maybe they have the ability now. Sounds like there's still some time off. Not that far. Donald but. Trump is egging on somebody who has the capacity or will have the capacity to do that. Harry Truman, when he was speaking to Japan in 1945, was talking to a country that did not have the power mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, Good point. Th- right. It's not an escalation with somebody who has the ability to hit you. That said, you can imagine as Donald Trump is in his bed tweeting these things, Kim Jong-un is finding out by somebody uh, in a country who has internet calling him to tell him what Donald Trump is tweeting, and then he's like screaming into the air, right? Because he doesn't really tweet. Um, clearly, he's feeling pretty diminished by uh, by all of this too. And with a normal leader, that would be a uh, that wouldn't be such a problem. But who knows what this guy's going to do? Look what he does to his own people. Yeah, right. Uh, but wouldn't you say like you you started by saying they're not the same person? There are there are a lot of similarities. Obviously, two monumental egos, right? Easily bruised egos, right? And both of them love the escalating rhetoric, right? I mean, that's that's their specialty almost, right? So, um, but what's scary to me is that I think either one of them is capable of of making of doing something stupid like Donald Trump saying we could have a limited military strike against North Korea that would teach them a lesson, like we did in Syria, for example. It wouldn't work in North Korea. Right. I mean, right? The, the problem is the United States believes that it can project its military anywhere in the world and actually have an outcome that is greater than um, greater than just destroying things. I mean, sometimes that may be true, but if you're trying to affect North Korea's behavior, I'm not sure you're sort of like traditional threat of military force works or even the use of military force works. Um, and... We are, I think it's easy to forget this, we are at war in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. We are mm-hmm. still at war in Iraq. Um, we still have Libya on our hands, even though we're not, you know, we don't have, uh, you know, a big military force there. The United States is projected all over the world right now. One of the things Donald Trump promised when he became president is that he was going to bring that stuff back. And honestly, I thought that was a good promise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't mean that we shouldn't have foreign relations or foreign policy or even the threat of military force. But in order to be able to threaten military force, you actually have to have the capacity to carry it out. It's not clear to me that we really have the capacity to carry out more military operations. Uh, I think we ought to be drawing back from Afghanistan, not in the way that Trump is considering now. A private military in Afghanistan is an awful idea. But uh, he promised to bring everybody back. And he's not done that. And instead, what we're seeing is a potentially, potentially another conflict in North Korea. Um whether it be by traditional or nuclear means, this is not good news. And the president is not is not clearly succeeding in the first external test of his presidency. You know, it, it was interesting to me that yesterday, the same day that this rhetoric comes out of Donald Trump about North Korea, that CNN released a poll on whether or not people believe what they hear out of the Trump White House. 73% of Americans in that poll said... That's three out of four Americans that 
They, they, they do not believe uh, anything they hear out of the Trump White House. Not credible. Uh, that's that's why this is so dangerous with North Korea, right? Th- th- it really undermines right his capacity to well, and the, and, and to lead con- and do anything. Conversely, if you're a president who believes that the American public no longer thinks that you follow through on what you say or that you're not credible, you want to prove that you do. Huh? You want to prove that you do, and I mean that would I think that saying you're going to nuke another country and then nuking that other country would probably move those numbers of I believe the president's going to do what he says he's going to do up. Yeah, to be fair, I think they're talking about a limited military strike, which would not be nuclear, which would be conventional missiles. A rain of fire like the world has never seen. That would be nuclear, yes. I yeah. mean, the world but has that's seen his... two nuclear, uh, <laughs> yes. nuclear detonations yes. in Japan. Yes, yes. You're right. I mean, that's what that language implies. I think what the military option that the White House apparently reportedly is considering would be a missile strike like we had against Syria, non-nuclear, but still would could unleash who knows what. I right? mean, you know, Steve Bannon has his way. H.R. Uh, McMaster, the national security advisor, is going to be riding a missile like that guy in, uh, <laughs> in Dr. Strangelove. He'll be the point of the spear into, into Pyongyang. Um, do you think that um, Congress would... Go along with this? First of all, they wouldn't have any role, I, I would imagine, uh, right? Unless you have a declaration of war. I mean, we've we've okay. sort of design, designed yeah. our system to uh, yeah. to militate against the sloth of the Constitution. I mean, I, it's a good thing because if you really needed to, to go to war in a short period of time, um, you could get Congress together and they could do it if it was a 100% thing. But, like, uh, having some capacity to to have a strike in a short period of time, I think is probably advisable, even though. I would debate. I would debate. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I think there are good arguments on either side. I like our Constitution. I like going to war with Congress. I think we've, like, completely abused um, the War Powers Act, which was, by the way, designed to be abused, um, has huge holes in it. War Powers Act was a way that, okay, the president can take some action, but Congress has to come within 60 days, right? And and otherwise, the thing is off, right? Yeah. Yeah, but functionally, it expanded the president's power to go to war instead of limiting yeah, it. Yes, it did, right. Uh, but, you know, if um, the, the other thing, and, it, it, and this was raised during the campaign, I'm sure you remember, is uh, we have a system today where one person, the president of the United States, makes a decision about nuclear war and pushes the button. And I, I mean, I don't care who the president is. Barack Obama, I don't think, should have had that power. Or Hillary Clinton. Well, we all know your problems and, with President Obama. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right, Don Ronald, I don't think any president should have you that power. You thought he should have done it certainly, faster, right? <laughs> no, certainly not Donald Trump. Uh, and one would think maybe this is a time when Congress is saying, maybe we ought to take a look at that nuclear decision-making process. What do they got? What is it like? Five minutes or eight minutes max between the president is told there's an incoming nuke or there's a threat which could or could not be real, yeah. and there have been many false alarms. Uh, and with Donald Trump, I made a reference to Doctor Strangelove earlier. Yeah. I'll make a reference to failsafe now. Oh. You know, the the, uh, the uh, nuclear. Uh, concern novel from uh what the late 50s maybe uh but i'm not sure what the other system is i mean do you really if the nukes are in the air toward us you kind of got to make a decision fast true if they are if right you could you could have but i think you could have a backup Uh, anyhow um we'll get joe's here and see on the end to tell us all about the backup but 
you know, when you have cases where uh, one one case out in a silo in North North Dakota, I think they some guy just had a a test video in and, yeah. and saw this and thought, "Oh my God, here they come!" Right? Because of course, you know, there's constantly the threat of imminent right. nuclear war that you weren't looking at. I I do think that it might make sense to have some sort of different procedure for uh, preemptive strike. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But a reactive yeah. strike, you probably don't have a lot of time to make a decision. Um, earlier in the week, or a couple of days ago, uh, Donald Trump, on his tweet storm, was talking about how his base is bigger and stronger than ever today. Is it? No. Uh, polling suggests that his, even his most ardent supporters are backing off and that his base is actually shrinking. I'm willing to accept that polling on this may be a little bit off. It is not off to the extent uh, that it would have to be. T- I mean, first of all, the poll is measuring against previous uh, previous installments of the same poll. Um, so you can see trends in that, whether mm-hmm. or not it's off by a few points. Also, when you get to see the president at 36% approval, add five points, add eight points. He's still in trouble. He's still got a base that's that's um, shrinking, and he's got a base that's less happy with him. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 and by the way, what do uh, they have to be happy about? The, the only thing you could be happy about if you were a Donald Trump supporter is him sticking his middle finger up at the establishment. Yes, yes. I, I was just going to say that. But, but, but the people that I talk to, or the people there, is they're happy that he is driving people crazy in Washington, right? Yeah. And, and, and attacking the media, and they love that. Well, I mean, I'd love to see a Venn diagram of New York Times readers and Donald Trump supporters, because I think it's almost zero, right? Mm-hmm. The, the, the intersection zero. of... Of those right. things, or is zero, and so, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, the New York Times for him is is a specter. It's a it's some something he's raising to attack that his supporters are not even familiar with. I mean, it's just the idea of the New York Times. I think the more that they, his supporters, see Congress is unhappy, people complaining, the establishment complaining, the more they. They said this is a, that's what we want, right? That's what that's why we voted for. I think they're happy with those things if those things do not align with a failure to achieve anything. I mean, if the whole point was to send Donald Trump here to scream and yell at people and not actually change anything, uh, then he's doing great. If the point was to send him here to change things, uh, then he's failing at that. And I think that look, in in fairness to the president. He walked into a city after having said for the entirety of the campaign that he was going to come here with a hatchet uh, and that he wanted to change things. Or he, he was going to drain the swamp. Drain the swamp, whatever. whatever. But I mean, yeah. the, the point was he was going to destroy institutions here and change and change our policies in a lot of ways. And he ran into a bipartisan uh, establishment that wanted to fight him on that. And they are digging in and they are fighting him on it. And uh, people are leaking against him. And if I were him, I would look at it and say, yeah, no – no wonder I came in here and said I was going to change things, and these people are resistant to change. It's going to be tough. So when you look at what happened with health care and when you look at what happened with the Russian sanctions, has he lost, in effect, lost control of the Republicans in Congress? Yes. I think I think the fear of standing up to Donald Trump has uh, evaporated. Um, I think that people are still—I think Republicans on the Hill are still cognizant of the fact that 
the majority of Republicans in the country still support him. So, you know, people running out there and screaming and yelling about how bad Donald Trump is are limited. I mean, Jeff Flake, Ben Sass, yeah. whatever. Um, but I do think that he's lost the benefit of the doubt with them. And I, I don't think he had a big margin of benefit of the doubt to begin with. Uh, the more that his base erodes, the easier it is for Republicans to distance themselves, and then at some point becomes uh, necessary for them to distance themselves. Of course, it depends on if they come from states that are, uh, you know, a little more um, balanced or districts that are a little more balanced. But it, at the end of the day, um, Donald Trump is not giving Republicans on the Hill any reason to be supportive of him. Even Mitch McConnell yesterday came out and, yeah, and yeah. whipped him. I basically said, blame Donald Trump for the fact that we didn't get health care done. He right? said Donald Trump came in and imposed these artificial deadlines that were, yeah. uh, you know, not thoughtful about how Congress operates. And to me, you know, that is also a rip at Mike Pence, the vice president, who Good is point. Good basically point. Donald Trump. was Trump's, up there all the time, yeah. He was basically Donald Trump's yeah. big emissary on the Hill. Right. And he came from the House. And when he was in Congress, he, like a lot of other people in the Trump administration who were in Congress, uh, spent most of his time trying to figure out how to defeat the priorities of a Republican government. Mm -hmm. They have zero experience in actually legislating. And Pence, I think, is actually is a pretty gifted politician. I, I mean, yeah, yeah, uh, I'm, yeah. I'm impressed with Pence, uh, and have been for a long time on the on the level of being able to communicate well and get some things done. But uh, he's. He obviously has been part of this mis misunderstanding of how Congress can operate. You know, on, on that point, though, if Trump had done what Obama and Biden did on, on a number of issues and just said, Pence has this, he's got this one covered, well, I'm going to let him handle that, Trump care probably would have gotten done. Like, maybe, maybe, like, I but, 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 like, I, I mean, look, Donald Trump made no argument. He made no push for it. He didn't even try to get Trump care done. I just, but I disagree, Peter, on this score. Uh, for the entirety of his career, or at least the last seven years, uh, Paul Ryan has been trying to cut yeah. Medicaid by a trillion dollars over a decade. And he keeps trying to do that. And uh, Republicans have been winning in spite of that, not because of that promise. And we found that out in, you know, pretty clear terms this year. Like, ultimately, Medicaid was, I think, the straw that broke the camel's back. I do, too. Um, and you had a lot of Republicans from... Uh, states with large poor populations uh, yeah. basically saying that they were unwilling to do this bill and they said it for different reasons if you're Susan Collins from Maine you're you say it outwardly I'm worried about Medicaid if you're for Tom Cotton from Arkansas you say this isn't harsh enough on Medicaid but the truth is you're protecting your Medicaid recipients I mean the the outcome is the same so uh, I, I mean I think I think this is a failure of Paul Ryan putting ideology before political performance yeah uh, by the way on North Korea if you uh, check uh, uh, at Politico this morning, Politico.com, the lead story on North Korea, uh, all about it uh, by Brian Bender. He's going to join us here in just a, a few minutes with uh, with John Allen to talk more about uh, in North Korea and and <laughs> where this leads and where we're going uh, and what we can expect next. Um, back to John, I want to ask you about uh, the current political scene. So you talk in Shattered, uh, not only uh, mainly about the Clinton campaign, but also about the Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, Bernie Sanders now is making some Democrats nervous because he's about to launch his single-payer legislation, uh, which some people are talking about. Uh, Nina Turner, the president of Our Revolution, says this should be the litmus test for presidents in 2018, for Democrats, rather, in 2018 and 2020. You're either for single-payer or you're against it. If you're not for it, you can't run as a Democrat. 
Is this going to create some problems? Yes. It's going to create a, a lot of consternation within the Democratic Party. I think that there, there are a lot of Democrats uh, who believe that um, – who believe that single payer is is difficult to achieve would cause a lot of problems on a policy level and believe that it's politically unpalatable. Um, at the same time, uh, there are a lot of Democrats and perhaps a majority in in, uh, in primary states, uh, in important primary states and caucus states, uh, who think that single payer is the right way to go. And by the way, I don't think this is just a republic, uh, just a Democrat Democratic thing. I mean, I hear Republicans say to me. Uh, not well, tons I, of Republicans, but grassroots Republicans go out in the states and talk to people, and they'll say, "I don't understand why we don't just have Medicare for everybody." Well, or Donald, some sort of Donald Trump at one time was in in essence a single payer guy. Uh, he also was uh, for banning assault weapons. That's, yes, yeah, that's you pick, true. pick a position, and Donald <laughs> Trump's been on both sides of it. True, true. <laughs> but uh, so, uh, should there be a litmus test on any issue? Is one question, and then the other is, you know, is single payer. Um, the hill you want to die on. I generally think that it's self-defeating for a party to have litmus tests. I think the idea for a party should be to bring in as large a number of people people as possible. Um, and uh, and basically what you should say to people who have the minority opinion on a particular issue is either get the majority opinion within the party to change the platform or live with the fact that you're, you're going to have to be with us on most issues and, and not with us on the other issue. I, it does not make sense to me to not to, to have litmus tests, generally speaking. Um, I'm not sure that if I was going to pick uh, litmus tests, that single payer would be the wrong one. I mean, of the one of the ones yeah, that could be right. like worst for them, I'm not sure that that's the one that I would pick out and say like, God, they really shouldn't do that. I think right. I think abortion and guns are, are issues on which um, it makes less sense to have a litmus test simply because they affect fewer people directly than the healthcare question. Right. Yeah, I, I just uh, as a Bernie supporter, right? My my own take on this. First of all, I agree with you on litmus tests. I've never liked them. I am one thousand percent pro-choice, uh, but I'll accept a Democrat who is progressive and dem- or and, and supports the Democratic Party position on every other issue and happens to be pro-choice for whatever reason. I mean, pro-life. For if I hate that term, but for whatever reason. I'd rather accept that person, right, than a Republican who's going to vote against me on every issue. And they're right? not going to take over your platform. No, I mean, no. there will be a small minority, and what they're saying yeah, is, yeah. even though like I care a Bob about Casey. this issue. A Bob Casey from Pennsylvania, right? right? Of course, embrace Bob Casey. Right? Uh, unless unless you're Bill Clinton and you excommunicate him during your convention. <laughs> right, uh, which I think was a mistake then. And um, uh, and by the way, I, have, I would have to say, again, as a Bernie supporter, that I think it's a little risky for Bernie to put a, I'm not saying Bernie is saying this by this some of his followers are to, to to impose try to impose any kind of litmus test when some people said guns should have been the litmus test against him right, right. and he was vulnerable on that issue that hurt him in the democratic primary well the other thing no is no doubt uh, about it no reason to call it a litmus test no just right. run on it yeah just yeah. argue this person is not in, in support of this thing that most of us are and the other thing as a single payer person myself i think some people make a mistake and paul krugman had a good column on that this week that single payer if it happens if it comes is not going to happen overnight it's not going to some people think that means you're going to throw away ev- all the everything right now and tomorrow start with a government run healthcare system it's never going to happen that way it's going to be look it, at- it's going to be medicare for all and then eventually it's going to be single payer. 
I mean, think about just, and I know that there are a lot of listeners who probably don't care about the people who work in these industries, but think about the people who work in the insurance industry. How many jobs are immediately lost if you were to suddenly say, no politician is is no. going to do that. It's just yeah. not, so it's I think, not sustainable. I think even we single-payer people have to be, you know, careful about how we talk about it and and how and, and uh, with people about how that what what a what a strength is why it's so good why it would save a lot of money why it would cover everybody but how gradually it's going to have to happen when tom price talks about uh what he wants to do with medicaid the the hhs secretary he has always said uh that he believes that um medicaid should be aligned in a way that's you know more patient centric and it should be uh, you know, more the states and the localities should have more control than the federal government. And says, absolutely, we're nobody's. As he said, I think yesterday uh, or two days ago, nobody's interested in cutting Medicaid. Yeah, that's how he presents it. But actually, what he's interested in doing is cutting Medicaid by one point four trillion dollars or something like that over ten years. By so, letting states, yeah, we won't cut it. We'll let the states cut it. But the Democrats go out there and they say, uh, they you know they say exactly what they want to do. <laughs> they don't. They don't even frame it, much less lying about it. They don't even frame it, right? They don't even talk about it, you know, in, in terms that are more, try to find more palatable terms. As promised, back to North Korea with Brian Bender from Politico. John Allen uh, staying with us here as a friend of Bill, uh, with you too as a friend of Bill. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is on a Wednesday, August 9. Hello, hello, The Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., in our studio on Capitol Hill, brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Good men and women of the firefighting departments all across this country, they are on the front lines every day protecting American families under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger. Uh, we thank them for their uh, great work and uh, thank them for the support of the program as well. John Allen with us, a co-author of Shattered Inside Hillary Clinton's Doomed Campaign. With us here is a, a friend of Bill. John, always good to have you around. Thank, thank you. you. Good to be here. And we're joined by Brian Bender, national security writer for Politico, who's been up all night uh, covering North Korea uh, and the We've presence. We've all been up all night worrying about We all have, about worrying it, about, about yeah, what might happen. Uh, Peter, I'm not sure you were covering North Korea. You may have been covering a bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I was up all night covering something. <laughs> right. Uh, so, Brian, let's just set the scene again. Uh, yesterday around the conference table up in Bedminster, New Jersey, at the Bedminster Country Club, uh, when asked about opioids and then about North Korea, uh, President Donald Trump echoing Harry Truman. North Korea best not make any more threats to the United States. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. What is he talking about? And what is he threatening? Well, I think, you know, number one, most observers, both here in the U.S., certainly in the region, reacted very badly to this statement because this is something that you would think the North Korean leader would say, a very bombastic, very melodramatic, we're going to destroy you in a sea of fire. And I think most people 
even some hawks on North Korea will say this is not helpful because this sends a message to the North Koreans potentially that Trump is thinking of doing something. Because, you know, what's different here is Hillary Clinton said once, I think she was running for president, that if North Korea ever used a nuclear weapon, it would be the end of North Korea. Mm -hmm. And she was being very explicit, if they ever used a nuclear weapon. He didn't say that. He said if they continue threatening the United States. So I think that's very different, and that could be misread by North Korea as a warning that he might do something first. And I think... On that point, I read, it might have been in your story this morning, that it's like the first time that an American president has ever threatened military action in response to a verbal threat and not a physical military threat. Right. I think that's why this statement was seen as as dangerous and and sort of ratcheting up the tension and the rhetoric at a time when, you know, the opposite should be done. You know, I talked to somebody yesterday uh, on the National Security Council whose view on this was, you know, listen, the president shouldn't say much publicly. What he should say is we're going to defend our allies. We're going to defend our interests. We're going to do whatever it takes to protect ourselves, period. And then privately, you can tell the North Koreans, maybe in, in more careful language, but effectively what he said, which is, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. if you guys do anything, you're finished. So in other words, your nuclear weapons are useless. You right. can never use them, because if you do, it will be the end of your regime. And so, you know, we're seeing some responses already today from, you know, the leader of New Zealand, who's very concerned about this. I think we're going to hear more from the Japanese, from the South Koreans. And again, just along the lines of, we're all on the same page here. We need to stop North Korea's nuclear program. We need to figure out a way to roll back their missile programs. But talking tough and effectively threatening a war is not the way to do it. I don't know when this all started, but certainly Bill Clinton has dealt with this. George W. Bush did. Barack Obama did. And now it's Donald Trump. I mean, so if none of them have succeeded in stopping nuclear uh, North Korea's nuclear program, what makes we th- what makes us think we're ever going to stop it? They're, they... In effect, don't we have to accept the fact that they are a nuclear power? Well, I mean, I think we're getting close to that point because you're right. This has been going on for 60 years, mm-hmm. and um, we don't seem to be making progress, but they do seem to be making progress. Uh, faster than we thought. A lot faster than we thought. So we may be at a turning point here where the United States and the international community is going to have to figure out, okay, how do we deal with a nuclear North Korea? How do we deter them? How do we come up with some sort of framework where we can live with this nuclear state if, for as long as it's around. If you're Kim Jong-un, though, it seems to me that the rational thing to do is to continue to build your nuclear program. And the same thing was true for his father. You're already under a tremendous sanction. Your country is extraordinarily poor. You're trying to keep control of your people. And the only way you can get the United States to pay attention to you, and perhaps the only way you can uh, get them to deleverage a little bit on the sanctions is to actually have some power in this situation. And the, and the huge difference in so I'm, I'm curious on your thoughts on that. And then the other thing is, it seems to me there's a huge difference between 1945 and Truman and now, which is that the Japanese didn't have a nuke that they could hit us with in retaliation for our rhetoric or because they were worried we were going to hit them, whereas the North Koreans are pretty close to having that capacity. I'm curious about your thoughts on those two ideas. Uh, well, you know, I think uh, your point is probably right on target in the sense that Kim Jong-un believes that the only way he can cling to power, the only way he can get the world to pay attention is to go down this road. I mean, he probably is very well aware what happened to Muammar Gaddafi 
he gave up his nuclear program. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. what happened to him? Then we killed him, and he was uh, uh, <laughs> sodomized in the desert. I'm not sure we killed him, but well, whatever. His own people, people, him. right? Um, people that we allowed to kill him. Killed you know, him. we went into Iraq the first time in 1991. Uh, you know, ostensibly uh, because you know Saddam Hussein was a bad guy. He invaded Kuwait, but he also was working on a nuclear program. We wanted to stop that. So yeah, he looks at the world and he says, if I have a nuclear weapon, I get a seat at the table. Yeah, and I get to stay at the table. Um, as far as the analogy to Harry Truman, I mean, you know, I'll admit I'm a, you know, an amateur historian. I did not immediately make the connection when he said fire and fury to the Harry Truman warning after the first bomb was dropped. And by the way, today is the anniversary of the second bomb. Second bomb. Seventy yeah. second anniversary of Nagasaki. Um, but you're right. I mean, it's a very different world. We were the only people in the world that had nuclear weapons at the time. So it was easy to talk tough. I mean, nobody else had them. The Russians didn't have them. The Chinese didn't have them. Um, and North Korea does have them. And it looks like they have them where they can miniaturize them. They can put them on these missiles that seem to be much more advanced than we thought they would be. They could hit Alaska, could hit Hawaii, maybe even the mainland. And so I think Bill's right. I mean, I think there's... You know, there's going to be more conversations going forward about how do we live with a nuclear North Korea, because we can't seem to be able to stop it, short of a military operation that that clearly would be disastrous. Well, so we hear from Nikki Haley, from Rex Tillerson, uh, all of them saying Sarah Huckabee Sanders that everything's on the table, including a military uh, option. What are they talking about? Are they talking? They're not talking about necessarily a preemptive nuclear strike. They're talking about a missile strike against military targets. Do we know what they're considering? Well, we know in the past, I mean, even if you go back to the Clinton administration, 1994, uh, we were awfully close to launching some sort of preemptive strike on their missile facilities and their nuclear facilities, which, of course, at the time were much more in their infancy. Um, but, you know, I think there are strike options on the table. There, some are limited going after some of these facilities. Cruise missiles, for example, right? Cruise yeah. missiles or, or um, combat aircraft bombers that could quickly get over North Korea and strike some of these missile and nuclear facilities. Um, but that's risky because we don't know where all of their stuff is. Um, and they have missiles poised ready to hit South Korea Easily, right? Right. Well, you know, the, you, when I've been to South Korea and I've been briefed by some of the U.S. and the South Korean officials over the years about what the situation would look like. And, you know, it's clear that if we launched some sort of military strike against North Korea, we would win. But it would be very, very costly because the North Koreans are right there across the border. They would fire everything they possibly could get off at Seoul. They would kill thousands of people. And again, in the end, you know, the allies would prevail, but at what cost? And, you know, I think at this point, again, it, it gets back to what Trump said. It, the reason why it's so destabilizing in the view of so many people is that he's not being clear on what he means. Does he mean nuclear? Does he mean a limited military strike? Does he mean we'll attack you if you attack us first? Are we going to launch a preemptive nuclear strike? I mean, nobody really knows. Is this the difference between the power that... Um someone who actually has power uh, uses and, and those who don't. That is to say, if you're 
Kim Jong-un or you are another leader who's not the most powerful country in the world, uh, being unpredictable is a good thing because people will worry that you're going to do the craziest thing you could do or the most outlandish thing you could do. But being, is it different to be the leader of the free world and be unpredictable and, and how so? I was talking to somebody this morning on the way here who said something that I hadn't thought about, which is that you know everybody's up in arms about what Trump said, and, and it's understandable that they are. But at the same time, is he, by using this kind of rhetoric, this unpredictable approach, making himself look weak? In other words, a lot of people listen to him now, and they just roll their eyes, and they turn their head, and they say, this guy's just crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing. And meanwhile, all his people, H.R. McMaster, the National Security Advisor, the Secretary of State, Rex Tillerson, Jim Mattis, are probably picking up the phone and calling every ally in the world and saying, don't listen to him. They have yeah. to spend as much time. And so I think on some level, he looks weak by being unpredictable well, that's and saying at. the yeah. most you know, outlandish thing. Nobody takes him seriously. Which in some ways may be the best of all options in this case. In other words, okay. even the North Koreans rolling their eyes and saying, oh, it's just Donald Trump being uh, Trump. You know, uh, Teddy Roosevelt. And the French are rolling in. their oars. Or is it the, the Spanish are rolling their oars? <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt flashed into my mind, right? Speak softly, but carry a big stick. Right. He speaks right. loudly and carries a little stick. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe. <laughs> right. Uh, are there so? It's interesting. I was going to ask you whether there's there's a split inside the administration. I, can't, I guess there clearly is, isn't there? Well, I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, as you pointed out, North Korea is an intractable problem. There's nobody in any agency yeah. that I know of in any country that has some bright idea that nobody's ever come up with before. Like this is how to solve this. I mean, it's a really difficult problem. Um, Other than regional talks, which is what China's been calling for, uh, and others. And if Tillerson seemed to a couple of days ago, right? Uh, so well, aren't, aren't there conditions for regional talks? Uh, first of all, I guess two questions. Is that the way to go? And from what I've heard, the condition is, okay, we stop our military uh, games with South Korea, and they stop their testing of missiles, and then we sit down at the table. Right. Pre well, two, two kind of preconditions to getting the talk started. I mean, you know, and I think that, that the president's comments yesterday are um, re-energizing, you know, the, the very influential sort of negotiating lobby, people who say, listen, there's no other way to deal with this than to sit at the table with the North Koreans and figure out a, a way forward. So far, our precondition has been that the North Koreans have to agree that they will sit down to talk about how to stop their missile and nuclear programs. They're not willing to do that, at least yet. And, you know, you could see that those who support the president might have the view that, well, if he talks, talk, talks tough like this, maybe he could push the envelope a little bit on the negotiating issue. In other words, ratchet up the tension, scare the North Koreans, maybe they'll drop that precondition and sit down at the table. It, it could also, these, I mean, maybe that could happen. It could also have just the opposite effect, could it? It could also have the opposite effect. These guys poison their members of their own family. Right. Right. Like, I don't I don't <laughs> yeah. think there's a lot where Kim Jong-un's like, I'm really terrified of X. I just throw that out there because it's not it's yeah. not impossible <laughs> that that right. ratcheting up could lead to some sort of, oh, well, maybe we should sit down and talk. Uh, I'm not predicting that that's going to happen. But, um, but you know, I, I do think that figuring out a way to sit down with the North Koreans and talk to them is eventually what we're going to do. 
Tour. Everybody knows that that's the only us, real option. Didn't, didn't, weren't there talks underway at one time in the Clinton years? No? There, there, no, yes, there have been talks. I mean, there, yeah. there, there was a deal uh, under the Clinton administration in which the North Koreans agreed uh, to sort of put a lid on their main centrifuge facility, which is where they were enriching uranium. Um, we learned later they also had a plutonium facility that we didn't know about. They didn't live up to that deal in the end. I think everyone would agree to that. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there is a, a record here of talking to the North Koreans, mm -hmm. getting them to agree to things that they then don't follow. Um, but, you know, it, but it's a lot harder now. Um, if you talk to former Secretary of Defense Bill Perry, who's mm -hmm. dealt with this issue for many years, who is um, obsessively worried about this, that, that, that we are not doing what we can to push diplomacy when things are devolving into what could eventually just be a shooting war that nobody wants. Um, you know, he's the first to say that they, they reneged on this deal. But he's, he will also say it's a heck of a lot harder to get them to talk now because they have the nuclear weapons. They have the missiles that are potentially capable of hitting the U.S. So they, they have a chip that they never had before. And so they're trying to exact, they're trying to extort as much as they can. And so far, it's not working for them because there are new sanctions that's just going to squeeze them even more. But that's the other thing. I mean, we've been sanctioning them since I've been alive. Right, we don't have any. And they somehow figure out a way to stay in power. Yeah, China. It's a, so I, this is my question. Is China happy or unhappy with the escalation of tension between North Korea and the United States? And, and why happy or unhappy? I mean, I get the impression from people who know the region, who know the Chinese, that, that they are, they're worried too. They're not as worried as we are, I guess. But I don't think they want a nuclear North Korea that is, you know, the poster child for global bad behavior. It's right on their border. But they also don't like the idea of the North Korean regime going away. And it's a convenient foil South for Korea merging with North Korea, unifying the peninsula, and it being this economic, mostly democratic juggernaut right on their border. You know, there, there's been some proposals to try and convince the Chinese to do more by agreeing that if there ever was a reunification of the Koreas, that we would pull our troops out. Mm -hmm. In other words, we're not going to make this another <laughs> big right. ma major base for American right. troops in the region that's going to go right up to your border. So, I, you know, I think there are things that we could have been doing behind the scenes, and maybe we are doing them, to try and convince the Chinese that they do need to play a bigger role. You know, they did approve these new sanctions from the UN Security Council, so that they're on board in that sense. They are calling for regional talks. I don't think they want this thing just to keep going on the way it's going. But as you point out, we've had sanctions and sanctions and sanctions, and there were a couple of reports yesterday that these new sanctions, for all we boast about them against North Korea, are not going to have much of an impact, you know, in terms of exporting mainly because, I guess, of China, that they'll still export oil and what, 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 sugar, whatever else they export. I don't know, but... Crazy. They export crazy. Crazy. By definition, this regime has survived through this illicit black market gaming right. system approach for more than half a century. So and we'll there's a lot of players in the world that are going to do like business with them. Cockroaches, right? They'll survive. They'll survive somehow. I mean, they figured out how to and do look, it. I mean, China and Russia will do will agree to UN sanctions. I mean, they did it with Iran as well, uh, when there seems to be like no other good solution for them, or it seem, would be seem bad for them to not do it. But I, I don't. I mean, I don't get the sense that these guys are really heavy on the idea of sanctions for bad guys. 
but that's it doesn't really matter to them one way or the other. They're sort of right. They'll, they'll agnostic they'll on the sanctions. sanctions, and then they'll you know cut a side deal with the same country. Was for, it significant? I mean, the Swiss you know, S three hundred air you know air defense system. There's Swiss cheese, Swiss cheese sanctions when it comes to North Korea and China, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I think so far it proves that there's no way to really lock down this regime and squeeze them to death. But also they're penniless, right? I mean, what what more would you do to to people who have nothing? Well, I mean, they do need access to technology. They do need access to, I mean, one of the things we've learned in the last couple of years is the North Koreans have figured out how to develop a pretty advanced cyber warfare program. I mean, relatively advanced. I mean, the Sony hack, that was Mm -hmm. them. I mean, they're doing this from Malaysia, apparently, not from North Korea. They have like an army of hackers living in Malaysia that are doing it. So again, it's, it's you know, we live in a global world where, you know, there are fewer borders than there used to be. And then, you know, the North Koreans can figure out a way to get what they need through the black market, through other means. You know, so, it, it may get harder with the sanctions, a little bit harder, but they've always seemed to be able to figure out a way past it. So wasn't it incredibly naive on the part, I mean, just uh, six weeks, two months ago, we were being told, don't worry about North Korea. China's going to take care of it. You know, he came down to Mar-a-Lago. We had a great dinner. We had the most beautiful piece of chocolate cake we've ever seen, anybody's ever seen. And uh, he promised me he's going to take care of North Korea. I mean, we heard that. from that Trump was saying that, right? And you, did anybody believe it? I'd at forgotten the time? that. He said a lot of things. Yeah. No. Remember? It was all. Yeah. Don't worry. President Xi's going to take. And he's care been of North ba- Korea. he's been badgering the Chinese over this issue lately on Twitter. Well, I mean, a few th- tweets th- a week or two ago about how you know China's we're going to restart and... the trade war now, right? Right. Right. Over that. So that that dependence on China. I guess I'm getting back to the point on the sanctions too. That China's going to wink. Were you surprised that neither China nor Russia vetoed the sanctions at the Security Council? I don't think I was surprised. I mean, I, I think you're right that, you know, it looks good for them. They don't really lose anything by saying, yes, yeah. we're going to be an international grown-up and we're going to sanction North Korea for violating UN Security Council resolutions when, meanwhile, you know, they're violating lots of things on their own. Um, I mean, yeah, it's not... I, so, but I think... Also, yeah. North Korea, it's the same thing. They'll say... We'll agree to, to stop our uranium enrichment because there's no reason not to say you're going to agree to stop your right. uranium enrichment, and then, won't. and then you continue to do it. But I think, Bill, you're you're you're, I think, taking us back to the point we were talking about earlier, which is that you know, Trump claimed that China was going to fix this. Don't worry, we're you know, it's mm-hmm. all under control. The more he makes these grand statements, and the more they don't have follow through. It gets back to what I was saying earlier. About. Nobody takes him seriously, right? And so, uh, it's so it's it's at some point we need to have a conversation about how that you know how that's damaging to our national security because he, he speaks loudly but there's no follow through. Well, how I, I, I mentioned uh, earlier the CNN poll yesterday showing that 73 percent of the American people don't believe anything coming out of the Trump White House, according to that poll. Uh, that's 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 related to being taken seriously, certainly. Um, so a lot of people wake up today. They heard that rhetoric yesterday, saw it on the news last night or whatever, uh, and they're worried that we are at the brink of nuclear war. How serious is it, and what, what is your take on where we stand now with it? Are we on the brink of war with North Korea? I think, 
I think it's a fair statement to say that we are closer to some sort of military confrontation than maybe we've been since the Korean War. I don't think that that's nuclear necessarily. It a lot. Ruined my day. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's what I'm hearing from people who have covered, who've been to North Korea, who know, yeah. know the issue in and out for decades, all the ups and downs. Um, everyone I talk to says the war, if this comes to war, is not going to be North Korea attacking America out of the blue. In other words, they're not mm-hmm. going to send one of their newly developed missiles with a nuke on it and hit Alaska yeah. or hit Hawaii or hit Guam, as they threatened to do yeah. yesterday. It's going to be because we stumble into some sort of nuclear conflict. They misread our signals. Somebody I talked to yesterday pointed out, okay, so Trump says this. What happens if some power plant blows up in North Korea out of the blue? And it's an accident. Mm-hmm. But their military command starts running around saying, oh, my God, is this the attack? Are the Americans coming? Well, I think it sows a lot of confusion and a lot of potential for there to be um, on, miscalculation. On that comforting note, we leave the rest Jeez. of the day to you, <laughs> Brian Bender. Thanks so much for coming in. John Allen, great to see you, my friend. Have a great day, folks. We'll be back here. We hope we'll be back here tomorrow. <laughs> this is The Bill Press Show. Well, my friends and neighbors, we are at war. Well, we're not actually at war, but we're definitely at the brink of war, thanks to two hotheads at the helm of both countries, the United States and North Korea. You know, in many ways, Donald Trump and Kim Jong-un are the same person. They both have huge egos. They both love the spotlight. They both got where they are only because of their daddies. They both have bad hair. They're both crazy. And the fact that both have their finger on the nuclear button in each country makes the world a very dangerous place. There's another path, of course, other than war, and that is that North Korea stops development of its um, nuclear weapons and firing and testing those intercontinental missiles, ballistic missiles, and the United States stops these silly war games with South Korea, and then all parties in the region, Japan and China, and North Korea, and South Korea, and the United States sit down for some serious talks. The problem is, both Trump and Kim Jong-un would rather hurl insults than try diplomacy. So first, Kim Jong-un warns that they're going to strike the United States, but first, after, after striking Guam first. And then, crackpot Donald Trump responds by saying, that he's going to unleash a fire and fury and power such as the world has never seen. Just the kind of bombastic language that makes things worse, not better. You know, if Donald Trump lived in the real world, he would never even consider a military strike against North Korea. The problem is, Donald Trump doesn't live in the real world. This is The Bill Press Show.